Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. John Donne said it simply and succinctly, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of a continent, a part of the main. What John was saying there in his poem is none of us is interdependent. We'd like to think so, though, right? We'd like to think that we are good on our own, that we really don't need anybody, that we could do it on ourselves. We'd like to think that we can just get along without anyone else. I would, exi- I would present to you as evidence the pandemic that perhaps that's wrong. Did you notice during the pandemic... Um, that it perhaps revealed to some of us that our interdependence was really an illusion, that we really need one another. The most common refrain I've heard over the last two years in my office or on the phone or in people's home is, Daniel, I miss people. Daniel, I need more people in my life. Do you have any suggestions or ideas or how I can connect with people? Daniel, I don't know if I know how to make friends. I don't know how to make friends. Um, I don't know where to start. And many who started to perhaps miss our gatherings on Sunday for a variety of good reasons found themselves without one another, and it left a void. And perhaps in your own mind, you can think, well, yeah, my void was created. And for many of us, it was different sizes of a a void, and some of us are finding our way back online maybe to church, and some of us are finding our way back to Sunday mornings, and I can say as your pastor, it's good to have you back, and however long it takes for us to, uh, I don't know if we'll ever be able to go back, but whatever it looks like for us to move forward, I'm I'm grateful that um, we're able to gather We need one another, and without one another, um, there's different parts of our health that will suffer. Our physical health, our emotional, our spiritual health, and I think if you do an inventory of yourselves, you would be able to identify, yeah, there's this part of my life that definitely did suffer. It created this emotional uh, stress in my life, and my health suffered here, and it became this domino effect over the last couple of years on what it means that we need one another. Scripture weighs in on this matter, as we'll see today. In fact, what we'll see today is this. Living outside of a church community isn't good. It's not scriptural. And really, it's hard, but there's no room in Scripture to extrapolate that we are to live outside Christian community. We're designed for one another. I need you, and I like to remind you, y'all need me too. And you know how rarely I use the word y'all, so you know how serious I am. The phrase one another is derived from the Greek word, uh, I don't know how to say it, but it means one another this way, mutually, reciprocally. It's used a hundred times in the New Testament. And so we are called to love one another. We're called to care for one another. We're called to forgive one another. We're called to serve one another. We're called to 
live in harmony with one another. We're called to show hospitality. We're called out, we're called to hang out with one another. I'll show you that later. Our current series through the book of Acts answers this question. What makes us who we are? The early church was formed here in the opening stages of Acts. And as we will see over the coming months, as we just kind of dive into this New Testament narrative, is we see what values were really important for the early church. Now, make no mistake, I have no desire to go back to first century Jerusalem in real life or even as a church. Um... It was a different set of circumstances. Uh, church leadership hadn't been set up quite yet in the book of Acts. We'll see the formation of that. And so our study through the book of Acts isn't to say, boy, wouldn't it be great to duplicate everything that's happening in the book of Acts? But really the story of Acts is to say, my goodness, what does it look like for the Spirit of God to indwell the people of God and just to move them? What does it look like for a people of God to be moved by the Holy Spirit, and what are the values that are really, really important to them? And as we see those values, what would it look like for us to embrace those values today? And I'll be honest with you, when you go through some texts, some texts are really difficult to preach from as a pastor. Some texts leave a lot open to interpretation. I don't think I'll ever preach through the book of Revelation. Because it's difficult. There's so many different uh, nuances and layers to it. Uh, there's different parts of the Bible that are really difficult. What we're going to read today is really, really simple. It's the formation of the early church, and it really shows us the vital components to a church community. And so on the day of Pentecost, the sound of the rushing wind came, the tongues of fire came, the conversion of 3,000 were all remarkable historical events. But the thing that is described in the verses we read today are really the abiding legacy of Acts chapter 2. It's the abiding legacy of what we read by these uh, early church members. And by God's grace, it will be the abiding legacy of our church and for the churches to come. So let's begin in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. You can follow along on the screens, or if you have the Bible app, our notes are there as well. Uh, just go to the events page, and you should be able to find them. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, today we're talking about the vital components to a church community. And there are four. We're going to spend time on really two of them. We will mention the other two. But just for sake of clarification, we're going to talk about two of them more than the other two. The phrase scripture uses to describe these components and activities is the early church was devoted to these things. They devoted themselves to them. So it's a good exercise for us to just talk about what do we find ourselves devoted to? What do you spend time thinking about during the course 
of a day or week? What do you spend time doing on those days or weeks? And what do you spend your finances? I think if you narrow down, what do you spend your time thinking? Do, and what do you spend your time doing? And what do you t- uh, spend your money on in your uh, finances? Those will kind of show you what you're passionate about. Um, if, if we looked at your bank account, we could probably reduce your life to your passions. Yeah. We could see how many times you go golfing. We could see how many times you go to, I'll step on my own toes, so I will just stick with golfing. Um, But yeah, if you looked at your finances, you could reduce your life to your passions. If you looked at your calendar, you could reduce your life to your passions. What do you spend time doing? Outside of work, right? Outside of the obligations of life, what do you spend time doing? And then what do you spend time thinking about? And only you can answer that. But what do you spend time thinking about? This is what you're devoted to. And so devoted means this is something you love, this is something you're loyal to, this is something you're going to be passionate about. This is what the early church devoted themselves to. Number one, they devoted themselves to Scripture, to the teaching of Scripture. This says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they relied on these apostles to communicate to them who Jesus was and what he had done. They had now put their trust in Jesus, and now they wanted more. They wanted to know more about him. And now understand, they didn't have the canon of Scripture that we have. So they didn't have a compilation of all 66 books of the Bible like we do. They didn't have the, um, the advantage or the uh, luxury of already having a church building or already having uh, time dedicated to go to this place of gathering to spend time with one another. They didn't have beautiful stained glass windows or all of the amenities we might have today. So they reduced their faith to this. We just put our faith and trust in Jesus. 50 days ago, we were there in the crowd when Jesus was crucified, and we might have been yelling, crucify, crucify, but now we understand that he was the Messiah. He is the Christ. He's our Lord and Savior. What's more, he is God. And so now we put our faith and trust in him. Going back to their normal schedule was not an option. Going back to whatever was normal was not a, uh, was not a consideration anymore. So they devoted themselves to Scripture. And the apostles were tasked with, the, uh, with this job of relaying to them, teaching them Scripture. So this, this phrase, devoted themselves, is communicating a steadfast single-mindedness towards a certain course of action. So how do we um, sit under the apostles' doctrine today? Well, we have the record of the New Testament. We, um, we have Scripture. We have opportunities to learn Scripture. We have opportunities to read Scripture. If you don't want to read Scripture, you have opportunities to hear Scripture. Um, if you have the Bible app, there's a little button on the bottom as soon as you get to a passage of scripture and if you just hit that play button there'll be a nice man or woman and they will read you the bible for you you could just listen to the bible i spend most almost every morning first thing in the morning is i listen to a certain translation because i kind of like the uh, energy the guy has and uh and i just listen to whatever libby and i are reading that day uh, there's another app for anyone who's younger who perhaps likes a little music in the background. There's another app called Street Lights. Uh, and if you download that app, it'll give you some hip-hop beats in the background. 
Russ is, Russ is going to sign up, I can tell. <laughs> um, and it will have these people, and they'll have multiple voices and different characters, and they will just read scripture to you. And so uh, through the course of the week, I usually listen to that one for Acts, and I just listen to Acts 1 and 2 over and over and over again. Uh, we have so much access to the Bible. Now, it might sound silly some of these ways we choose to have access, but for a moment, I would love for you to just consider the fact that over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, God saw it fit that he would preserve his word. So if you think about that word, word, that means it's his voice speaking to you. They devoted themselves to scripture. We won't spend much time here because, uh, because we do that every Sunday talking about this. I want to go on to the second thing. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Everyone say the word fellowship. fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. I want to take a couple minutes and talk to you what fellowship means. It's a beautiful word. It's a Bible word. We really don't talk about this word in any other context but church, right? Um. Uh, this last Thursday was the first day of March Madness. How many of you don't know what March Madness is? It's a basketball tournament in college, and all these teams play together. And typically throughout the years, when I've been able to, uh, I will take that day off, and I will go to a nice little restaurant up north called Buffalo Wild Wings. And would you believe on that day, they will open up their restaurant at 9 o'clock in the morning, because that's when the game starts. And I'll go with a group of friends, and we'll go, and we will just watch games and eat wings. That's really it. And when I text these guys and I say, the time is coming again, would you like to go? I don't use the word fellowship. Because we don't use that word outside of a church context. We don't say we're going to have some baseball fellowship after church today. We don't say we're going to have some Red Robin fellowship, right? We just... We use that word for church things. We have a fellowship hall underneath this floor, and that's where we do fellowship. But here's the definition of fellowship. It comes from a Greek word called koinonia. Say that word with me, koinonia. It's a beautiful Greek word. This is what it means. It's an association, a communion, fellowship, participation. Fellowship means sharing in something. That's all it means. It means we share in something together. And the Christian life is meant to be full of sharing, full of this fellowship. We share the same Lord Jesus. We share the same guide for life. We share the same love. And oftentimes we share the same struggles. And sometimes we share the same victories. We say we share things together. And committed Christians share their life with other Christians. Now, here's the tricky thing about fellowship. It can't be done from 1030 to noon on a Sunday morning. It can be part of it, but we really can't share in something other than we're sharing in worship, we're sharing in prayer. But as a church, what I have observed as your pastor is our greatest challenge in the last two years for our church is sharing in things between Sundays. It's been very difficult. We uh, originally had to put pause or hold on several of the normal ways we created opportunities for people to share in things. And the beautiful thing about getting ready for Easter is a lot of those things are coming back and we'll be able to do many of the things we haven't done in the last couple of years. In fact, in the upcoming six to eight months, we'll have many of these opportunities where we just get to share in something together. 
And so I would challenge you as a church to find opportunities to share in something between Sundays. The examples of those could be varied, but sharing a meal with someone. Uh, the simple act of sharing a meal, if you look at the book of Acts, and as we go through the book of Acts, and really through most of the Gospels, almost every single time a meal is mentioned, or a meal is described, or someone is having a meal, something very significant and special happens. Almost every single time in Scripture. That when believers get together and share a meal, something else happens. My favorite instance of this is in Luke where Jesus has a meal with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a notorious man in Jewish culture and he represents the Roman government. He represents taxes, which we all can get behind. Uh, he represents all of the, uh, all of the uh, people that are getting taken advantage of in the Jewish culture, this man represents. And Jesus, before he shares the gospel with them, Jesus, before he asks for his resume, Jesus, before he evaluates his dress, Jesus, who, uh, before he evaluates anything else, says, Jesus, come down, or he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Why? For I'm going to your house today. Right? Remember the song in Sunday school? Why? Just to share a meal. I would have loved to have been there for one of those meals. So he's sitting with Zacchaeus and, and whatever Zacchaeus' entourage looks like. And Jesus, in sharing a meal with Zacchaeus, uh, treating him like a person, right? Zacchaeus, through the course of the day's event, says, My goodness, my life I've been living. I've been living one way, right? And we talked about it, what? Last week, I've been living one way, and now I repent. I changed my mind, and in changing my mind, I'm going to give back everything I've stolen, and I'm going I'm I'm to compound it, and I'm, and I'm changing my life. Why after a meal? So sharing a meal, I would encourage you. What day is it? March 20th? I'd encourage you in the next 10 days before March is over to have a meal with someone in church that you don't normally have, but just invite someone. Have a cup of coffee with them. Share something with them. You say, I don't know them. That's the point of the meal, is you get to know them. Um, how can we share in something together? Uh, praying together, uh, praying for one another, but also praying together. We'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, doing something together, hanging out with one another, the joy and value of experiencing things together. Um, have you ever gone to watch a movie alone? For those of you who have, all by yourself? I was going to say, I don't think that's true, James. Um, but if you have done that, have, it's such a uh, weird experience because when you're laughing, you really want to laugh with someone. When your heart is pulled towards the story of the plot line, you really want to do it with someone, and yet it's a singular experience that was really designed to be shared with others. And so this is the value of doing something together that you have in common as you get to experience things together, uh, studying together, uh, attending a service together, worshiping together. Fellowship is simply the act of sharing something together. And so I'd ask you to consider what does that look like? After Easter, we're going to attempt to uh, bring ways for people to 
gather together again to study together. We have a couple of studies that are going on now, but we'd love to add a few more. We'd love to add just the opportunity for people to gather. Uh, for the last year or so, we've had, uh, I think, seven couples uh, in our home on Tuesday nights, and, um, and that we've just, we've, we've read through scripture together, we've prayed together, and we just share our life together. And I can tell you the relationships formed in that type of long-term commitment of just being together is different and unique than what happens on Sundays. Um, They're both important. And so I'd encourage you, what does it look like in your life to begin sharing in something with people between Sundays? Thirdly, they devoted themselves to communion, the Lord's Supper. Uh, The verse says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, in a casual reading, it may appear that this phrase is talking about eating or sharing a meal. Uh, The original text reads this way, the breaking of the bread. It's a little bit more formal in its reading. Uh, Meals are also included in the phrase fellowship, and in the verse following, it talks about how they would share meals together. So my interpretation of this verse is they're not talking about a simple meal that we're sharing anymore, but they are talking about the meal, the Last Supper or communion. These individuals, these specific followers of Jesus Christ were living so close to the time when Jesus crucified that they never wanted to forget what he did on the cross. And one of the things about being part of our church body, uh, when people come and visit, and you'll notice it today, and if you uh, visit for any length of time, you'll notice we take communion in our services every Sunday. We'll do so here in a few moments after I'm done preaching. Um, And we get the question often, why does your church make a big deal about communion? So I want to take a few moments to describe why we do Uh, Throughout history, the Lord's Supper is called many things. It's called the Lord's Table. It's called Communion. It's called the Cup of Blessing. It's called the Breaking of Bread. Uh, So the purpose of communion, let's talk about that for a few moments. The purpose of communion is this, to commemorate the death of Christ. Uh, On the eve of his death, what was traditionally um, observed as the Passover meal Jesus introduced this new part of the meal, this new covenant. And in doing so, he described what the cup would represent and what the bread would represent. And he asked the disciples, as often as you do this, do it, but do it in remembrance of me. Now, this was the night before their death, so you could only imagine that they were still probably wrapping around, wrapping their minds around the body, wrapping their minds around the wine and saying, Okay, I understand intellectually maybe what you're saying, Jesus, but I don't quite understand the significance or maybe the the monumental weight this is yet. You think, fast forward to the next day, Jesus is hanging on the cross. His body is hanging, the blood, uh, you know, if you look at Isaiah's uh, record of the crucifixion, they said they beat him so badly it was hard to tell whose face it was. So you think about the blood, and you think about the body, you think about the very next meal that the disciples would have had following that day. The next time they reached for a cup of wine, the next time they reached for a piece of bread, no doubt 
they remembered in that moment what it felt like to be in the room when Jesus passed those elements. So the purpose of communion is to commemorate the death of Christ, and it's also to be a badge of the Christian profession. One of the things we did um, in the last couple of years was we adjusted how we took communion to reduce uh, how many points of contact elements had so we don't pass anything in the services anymore. One of the things that I really liked about that change is when we take communion, if you're physically able to walk to one of the stations, it requires you to get up and stand and make a proclamation of your faith in that moment. In that moment, you get to stand up and say, I not only believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but I'm willing to stand as one of his followers. So it is a badge of the Christian profession. It's also to indicate and to promote the communion of believers with Christ. It reflects our unity with Christ, but also it represents the mutual communion of believers with each other. It reflects our unity with one another. A few other observations regarding communion, just, um, just since we're talking about it here in Acts 2. The Lord's Supper is primarily designed for us to remember the person and work of Jesus. Uh, to remember the person and work of Jesus. 1 Corinthians says it this way when Paul is instructing the church at Corinth. He says this, In the same way also he, being Jesus, took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So this Jewish culture adopting this new covenant was to remember Jesus now. The focus isn't Abraham, Moses, or Isaiah, or Jacob. The focus is no longer on uh, perhaps the elements of the Jewish Passover. Uh, the focus is now on Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, secondly, the remembrance is commanded. Uh, you see those words there? He says, do this. Now, how often is not commanded? And so different churches will observe it at different uh, frequencies. Uh, some churches do it annually or semi-annually. I grew up in a tradition that did it quarterly. There's some that do it monthly. Uh, participation, uh, how you participate, how often I should say you participate in the Lord's Supper, isn't really uh, delineated in Scripture. So, uh, so the, our church, our tradition, we observe it weekly. But the actual participation of the Lord's Supper is not an option. God's people are commanded to do this in remembrance of him. And prolonged absence from it is spiritually unhealthy, I believe. And if you willfully neglect this, um, it could be really, really harmful in your uh, relationship with Christ, but then it'll bleed, that unhealth will bleed into other areas. Uh, this uh, command has tangible elements, uh, tangible elements. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And so Jesus felt like, and God felt like, it simply wasn't enough for us to say, remember but he gave us these tangible elements of the bread and the wine given to us to stir our months. Now, traditionally in the early church, especially in Acts chapter 2, uh, to take communion was to have the meal. They would have the full meal and they would end with the symbolic bread and the cup. 
And so for the early church, particularly the disciples that were there for the Last Supper, the act of eating and drinking was a visceral reminder of their meal with Jesus. Now for us generations later, the act of eating and drinking is designed to remind us that we are dependent on Christ and the saving benefits of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Uh, Fourth, the remembrance requires personal reflection and confession. 1 Corinthians 10 goes on and says this. Uh, There we are, 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Scripture is very clear in the New Testament. You cannot serve God and man. Your allegiance must be clear. We talked about allegiance last week when we talked about repentance. And when you are walking with God, it means you're walking away from every other impulse or selfish ambition you would have. And so when you take communion, there should be reflection and confession. You should be one with Jesus in your relationship so nothing interferes or impacts or interrupts your relationship. So uh, when we take communion... Um, a couple of things that you might ask yourself is this. These aren't in your notes, so you can write these down if you'd like. Um, is there someone I need to forgive? Is there someone I need to forgive? Now, oftentimes, we may need to forgive someone that we may not be able to speak to. And so in those moments, it's an act of repentance. It's an act of claiming God's forgiveness and and, and repenting of whatever uh, ill feeling or negative uh, emotion you might have towards someone that maybe has passed away already. But if you, have, uh, if you have some unforgiveness lingering between you and another brother or sister in Christ, it needs to be addressed before you take communion. Scripture is pretty clear about that. Uh, here's another question you can ask yourselves. Is there a sin you need to repent from? Is there something in your life that is ongoing that you need to repent from? Um, Did you yell at your spouse on Thursday and still haven't apologized to them? Right? Um, Did you... We're just going to get real, okay? Uh, Did you have a moment of weakness and did you look at porn yesterday? Have you repented from that? Is there, um, is there an ongoing sin that you simply have not brought to Jesus? Now, again, we talked about guilt and shame last week. This is not about guilt and shame. It's not about the devil having this power of this sin over your life. It's about coming to Jesus and claiming the forgiveness he's already granted you. And the longer we withhold those private, secret sins, the longer they have power over us. Does that make sense? It starts interrupting your relationships. It starts interrupting your intimacy with your spouse. It starts interrupting your intimacy, your closeness with Jesus Christ. And so the Lord's Supper, communion, gives us the opportunity to cleanse and to claim his forgiveness. One of the verses I learned really early on, because my, uh, my parents encouraged us to memorize verses, is 1 John 1, 9. 
And almost every Sunday when I take communion, it's one of the verses I, I claim. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and then to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in that moment, communion is your opportunity, again, to have this space to reflect and to confess. So some questions. Do you need to forgive someone? Secondly, is there a sin that you need to repent from? When you do these things, it allows you to come to the Lord's table with a clear and open conscience. The Lord's Supper is not just another meal. Uh, it's one of the reasons we have a meditation or devotional thought prior to communion. We want to center our hearts. We want to give ourselves the space to just for a moment press pause on the nonstop uh, social media feed in our lives. We want to say pause to the nonstop distractions we might be thinking of. And we just want to center our hearts. And so on Sundays, we have someone that provides a meditation. Today, Steve Wicker will do that for us. And it's designed to center our hearts for this part of worship. You'll notice after Easter, uh, a few weeks from now, we'll have a few different members of our church be added to that rotation of people providing devotions. Uh, our elders met in this last month and discussed and prayed over uh, who else could help us provide devotions in our church. Uh, the reasons we take special time every Sunday to do that is because it's such a weighty thing for us to do. And the New Testament makes a big deal about communion. So simply put, we do too. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to test our motives and uh, attitudes as we approach the table. Uh, fifth, the remembrance proclaims the Lord's death till he comes again. We're going to read a couple of uh, narratives from Scripture that describe this scene. Matthew 26, the remembrance proclaims the Lord's death till he comes. So Matthew 26 says this, As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, all, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. First Corinthians describes it this way. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is not merely something we do that looks to the past, the death and the burial of Jesus and the resurrection. It is something uh, that gives us hope as it points to the future till he comes again. Okay. Fourthly, they devoted themselves to prayer. The verse reads this way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Here's the funny thing about prayer. The more you begin to pray, the more you will pray. The less you pray, the less you will pray. 
Um, I think the bookends of these four things are interesting as Luke describes them in the book of Acts. He, the bookends are the apostles' teaching and prayer. And uh, I have come to the realization for myself that if I am devoted to Scripture, if I'm devoted to sharing my life with other followers of Jesus, if I'm devoted to taking seriously the Lord's Supper, I will see my prayer life deepen. So the more you search Scripture the more you're inclined to pray. Because the Spirit speaks through the Word, you become more sensitive to His leading, you are encouraged, and you'll want to reciprocate that to the Spirit, you will be led to pray more. The more you serve Scripture, I think the more you're inclined to pray. The more you share in relationship with others, you will pray for one another. You'll get to know one another. Um, You'll get to hear people's struggles and triumphs. And it's interesting because in a church body, we always want to put our best foot forward, right? And Sundays is an opportunity to do that, and we come, and we often, uh, we, we put our best foot forward, and uh, the reality is our life is really, really difficult. And we've had a hard week, and we're, uh, we're struggling, and our finances aren't quite what they should be, maybe, or our career is kind of on a weird edge, or maybe... Uh, Maybe the health of your spouse or you is causing some real tension in the home. Or maybe your kids are just being kids. Maybe you have teenagers. God bless you. And so Sundays are these opportunities where we put our best foot forward. But to be honest, we have struggles and they're real and they hurt. And the amazing thing in relationships is this. Our strengths and our talents is what will impress one another. Right? Right? But it's our brokenness that will connect you with others. And your ability to share in things with others, the more time we spend in fellowship, the more time we spend sharing a meal, the more time we share uh, in, in, in something together that allows us to share some of the things that are happening in our life, the more we can sympathize with one another, the more that we can just be with one another, it will lead you to start praying for one another. Um, you'll be led by the Spirit, you'll be encouraged, you'll be moved by spending time with people. Um, You'll not want to be bitter, angry, or jealous with people the more you spend time with them. You'll want the best for them. You'll realize that we're not in competition with one another as a church family, but we're in this together. So when one person celebrates something in their life, we get to celebrate, and when someone... Uh, someone struggles in something in their life, we get to rally around them. We do this together. So the more time you spend with one another, the more you'll pray for one another. And I really believe the more you commit to practicing, the, the more we commit to practicing the Lord's Supper, really participate, doing the deep inventory necessary, the more often we will confess, the more often our heart will get pure, purged and purified. And the deeper we'll grow in our relationship. Now here's the thing. If we do, if we practice these values, if we put these values in play, some really uncommon things happen. Let's look at the verses again as we close. You'll notice you're at the end of your notes today. Some uncommon things happen when you prioritize these components. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is what happens next, right? And awe came upon every soul, 
and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Uncommon wonders happen. I am not proposing that we all start doing miracles. What I am proposing that we will see some wonderful things happen in our church body. We will see addictions being broken and released. We will see people being devoted. We'll see forgiveness, restore families and restore relationships. We will see those things happen. Verse 44 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. We'll see this uncommon unity. Um, you'll see this band of followers of Jesus Christ believed together and had all things in common. This uncommon unity. Look at what it led to. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You'll see this uncommon generosity. You know what happens when you devote yourselves to Scripture? When you start devoting yourselves to sharing with one another? When you start uh, confessing your sins and you start treating the Lord's Supper as this opportunity not to be guilt-ridden, but to claim the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? You will notice your heart start to become generous. And you'll start to think, what can I give? I can make these things, I can quilt, I can knit, I can make meals, I can do these things, and you will see hearts of generosity abound, and I can give time, and I know how to fix a car, I know how to wash a car, I know how to, whatever, I, what, is there, uh, I, I had someone come up to me last week and said, is there, is there a family that I could, I could just go mow their lawn for them? Those kinds of acts of generosity. Uh, Libby and I have been so blessed this last week with so many people who have just said, this is how I want to. Uh, bless you guys this week while you're going through this really difficult news. When you start devoting yourselves to Scripture, to the people of God, sharing something in common, participating in the Lord's Supper, really taking that as an opportunity to be forgiven, to, to claim the, uh, the forgiveness, to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection, you will find yourselves filled with this uncommon generosity. They distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. I think the interesting thing there I need to remind myself is they didn't distribute them as people had worth, but as people had need. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Sign me up. There was this uncommon happiness with one another, this uncommon gladness, and they shared meals together, they attended worship together, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, and then verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These are the vital components of a church community. They devoted themselves to scripture, they devoted themselves to, uh, to help me out, what's the second one? Fellowship, thank you. Uh, they devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper, and they devoted themselves to prayers. Rick Warren said this, he's a pastor in Southern California, he said this, you are as close to God as you choose to be. Think about that. You're as close to God as you choose to be. So today, as we look at this verse again, 
what, I guess I have two questions. First of all, what do you devote yourselves to now? And then what area here needs attention in your life? I don't want you to try to do all of these and say, Lord, I need to, I need to start memorizing the book of Job. I need to ask someone out to lunch every day this week. Um, no, uh, well, but when you think about these four areas, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so scripture, uh, to fellowships, to sharing with one another uh, something, uh, the Lord's Supper, and then prayers. For yourself, what area needs attention in your life? What area needs? Uh, because regardless of which area you choose, it will end up bleeding into the other areas. And you will see your, ourselves become this community of believers, this community of people that genuinely, uh, people, uh, I, will, I, will, I will tell people as I tell them about our church family, um, and they, you know, um, I'll say something like this. I'll say, what I love about my church family is we genuinely like each other. You know, the highest compliment I'll pay someone is that I love them and I like them, Right? We genuinely like each other. What would it look like for us to be pulled in the direction of God's spirit with these as our values together? So we're, gonna, we're just going to dig deep in scripture. We're going to form groups. Uh, those of you who have the gift or, uh, yeah, the gift of teaching, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna step up and schedule some time with, with me or someone else and say, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to teach. Um, those of you who are ready to lead a group or to gather some people in your home and say, I just want a group of people that are going to pray together once a week. Uh, we're just going to dig deep and, and devote ourselves to that. We, what would it look like if we just devoted ourselves to fellowship and, and not something that is organized by the church necessarily, but you yourselves just say, I'm going to invite this person to my home and I'm going to bake them something and I'm going to have a cup of coffee and I'm going to share my life with them. And hopefully I get to hear their life. What would it look like if we had that kind of movement of the spirit so that when we have Lord's Supper in a few moments after Steve leads us in a meditation that we, that we pray and we confess, we reflect, we celebrate, we remember, and we look forward to the day where Jesus comes again. What would it look like for us to simply commit to pray for one another? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.